0: Hello everybody, and that's it. Just hello everybody. No jokes. It's beautiful anonymous. One hour, one phone call, no names, no holds barred.
1: I'd rather go one on one. I think it'll be more fun, and I'll get to know you, and you'll get to know me.
0: Hello everybody, Chris Gethard here. Welcome to Beautiful Anonymous. Uh, so I feel so lucky that I get to do this show and uh I'm, fingers crossed things are brewing where we might have good news about doing it even longer who knows It's all because of the support of people like you who support and listen and, and tell other people about the show and you've all had my back so hard for so many years and it really means the world also guess what all these agents out there, they're starting to get and they're starting to schedule shows for the end of this year, early next year. And we're going to get a bunch of beautiful anonymous shows out there on the road because I got to see you guys. I got to get out there and uh, make it happen. Speaking of other beautiful anonymous content, uh, thanks to everybody who's been watching the show on Topic. We did our, uh, we just released our third of four episodes. That fourth one's going to come out. And guess what? You can watch the whole thing for free. And check it out. You go to topic.com, use the code beautifulanon, you get a 30 day free trial. And if I'm doing the math right, that means you get to see every single episode for free, which is, you know, who knows? Uh, that probably means that we're not getting too many signups. It was an experiment. I hope that's not the case, knock on wood. But you go, you check it out for free, you watch it, you get to support the show. And also, maybe I'll get to do more. And we'll get to keep making a cool thing. And your 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 buddy Chris will get to keep paying his mortgage. So go sign up. Check it out. Beautiful Anon is the code, topic.com. Now, uh, you can hear immediately this change in tone. This intro might be a little bit long because I, I, I got to warn you, I got to warn you, The me giggling and plugging stuff, it, it has stopped because this call... Is maybe the hardest one in the history of the show. I think, from some perspectives, it's a, it's as difficult as anything we've heard. Uh, it follows a trend. I think the most difficult shows we've ever had in the history of the show have involved uh, children losing their lives. This caller has dealt with that in a way that is so so beyond what I would ever wish on anybody. We taped this one months ago, and you can hear me, I'm starting to cry right now, talking about in the intro. This call's gonna be really, really divisive. The caller lost not not even one kid, and uh, the law got involved. There's going to be a lot of people wondering. I mentioned this in the course of the call. There's going to be a lot of people wondering um, how this happened. The, the the you know the the caller the call, you'll hear the caller went to went to court for this, and there's going to be people going. I, I wonder what the truth of that was. Most of all, I am a, a parent now and. I've never I've never it's always been so hard for me emotionally to hear about uh kids suffering and 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 you know now I have a kid and the gravity of it is even so much more profound. I I'll, I'll tell you I did something I've never ever done before which was actually after we recorded this call I actually messaged the caller from from Love is Everywhere and uh I said, you know, there's a call coming up that that you you might not want to listen to. It's going to be really painful. And uh, she wrote back and I tell you that caller is is so kind and really actually walked me through a lot of these emotions. I was able to say, you know, now that I have a son, I I think about your call in an even more impactful way. And and I think this call does in many ways tie tie directly back to that one and the effect it's going to have and stuff it discusses. But guys, it's hard. It's hard. Uh, I haven't stopped thinking about it since we taped it. And uh, you may have noticed in in a lot of interviews I do about the show, w- one thing that I've been saying more and more is that it, it really is such a tough thing on me emotionally, specifically the, the stretch of time between when we record the call and when we release it because we record it and then it, it's really just me sitting there processing it. And then we release it and the community gets to come together and process. I get to see the reaction that Facebook group, which has always been such a source of strength and pride and such a, a lovely community. I get to see the reactions and the support that comes out. And uh, I'm so thankful this one is coming out on a selfish level because I'm not not—I'm not the only one who's going to think about it anymore. And, and that's just selfish. But I thank the community. And I get to be a part of them and, and lean on them. You can tell from what I'm saying, this rambly intro, but it's necessary, really tough call, our caller has been through unimaginable things multiple times, real pain that no one should ever have to go through, so really brace yourselves, it's a tough one, I bet it's going to be a divisive one. I'll ask you to just be a human in your reactions to it. I'm not saying stifle reactions. I'm saying be smart and human in how you present those reactions to the world. And uh, yeah, much love to our caller for opening up about any of this. It, It is not easy to talk about.
1: Thank you for calling Beautiful Anonymous. A beeping noise will indicate when you are on the show with the host. Hello? Hi! Hi! How are you? How am
0: I? I tell you, I'm doing pretty good. It's a it's a nice yet cold day in New Jersey, and my wife uh, is out with the baby, and I miss them. But I'm also happy to have a couple hours of peace and quiet.
1: How are oh, you? I feel that I'm good. Uh, we're all uh, working, schooling from home, <clears throat> uh, so every afternoon. Uh, my husband takes our kids for a walk, and it's sort of my quiet time.
0: Yeah, I, uh, I'm do- We've been making a similar system. I would say is I go for a walk, or I go, uh, we go play in the backyard. So that Hallie can sometimes it's as simple as like so Hallie can take a shower that day. It's like really, it's really crazy.
1: I feel that it's sort of the opposite. You know, my husband is a stay at home dad right now. Mm-hmm. And so I'm giving him like moments of respite after work, you know, whether it's just cooking dinner, you know, saying like, oh, I'll, I'll play a board game with the oldest or, you know, you go write or you go read. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah.
0: yeah, you got to work really hard to keep keep everybody sane these days.
1: That's so true. I find myself really not even being able to imagine what life will be like once the vaccine is readily available.
0: Yeah. You sit here going, is it going to be business as usual? Is it going to be, are we all going to be kind of appreciative more than we have been in the past?
1: Um, Well, I do think we'll appreciate more, but I also think at least for my family, like we really value the time at home. And I think that we'll operate our lives differently to accommodate more time together. Oh yeah. Um, because I think it was something that we were missing. We didn't even know. We were so used to just go, go, go all the time, like fill your schedule with this and that. Oh, I and mean, so.
0: I'm with you, and and I I feel like I had one of the loosest schedules in the world. As a comedian, you know, I set my own schedule, but even I am like, I don't miss all that time on trains and cars. And I didn't even have a regular commute. It was. It was come and go. So I can imagine there's people going, I'm getting two and a half hours of my day back. This is awesome.
1: Oh, yeah. And I think, you know, my family has gone through a lot of changes through this year. And so while I know it's been a difficult year for everyone, and there have definitely been difficult moments for us and difficult stretches, there have also been so many pockets of joy this year. Um, And so I find myself just having a lot of gratitude. You know, just before the pandemic, my husband and I had our son,
0: Mm-hmm. Um, congrats
1: thank you he's nine months old and then i also have a nine-year-old um, from okay. a previous marriage so we have two boys uh and then i got my dream job congrats yeah it's a big deal like the road to me getting here has just been so insane and beautiful and <sighs> i've been really reflective um since October, when I when I landed the position, and, and since coming here um, to Kentucky,
0: so you're in Kentucky. Okay, okay. I'm keeping my notes now. <laughs> can I ask you a question? And this is based on like an assumption um, that may be just totally untrue, maybe totally false. But I don't know if you you get this a lot. You sound very young, and I was surprised to hear you say you have a nine year old. So I'm 28. 28. You're a nine-year-old.
1: Wow. Um, yeah. I got married at 17 when I was still in high school.
0: You got married when you were still in high school?
1: I did. Yeah. I was 17 when I got married. Wow. Um, yeah. Pretty crazy. I uh married a person who was in the army, a guy who was in the army. Um, he got orders to Germany and I was like, well, shit i want to go and <laughs> so um he proposed and we got married and i moved to germany shortly after graduating high school
0: so were all your high school friends at your wedding
1: so sort of yeah yeah a majority of them were at my wedding um it was on a tuesday i remember specifically because
0: <laughs> it's on a school night i was
1: taking yeah well i had i was taking college courses like i was in advanced placement classes and i had a really important test in my um, like calculus college class that morning. So I actually went to school that day, took my calculus exam, and then a friend who was homeschooled... What are you talking me, about? Yeah, picked me up from school, and I went and got ready for my wedding and <laughs> went and took the rest of the week off from school and went to California for my honeymoon. And then I came back that following Monday and I just went back to my senior year.
0: Now, so a lot of your friends who attend to the wedding, they, it, it is no exaggeration to say that they're at your wedding, everybody celebrates, and then they're going, all right, cool, I'll see you in gym tomorrow. That's not an exaggeration.
1: Not at all, no. And a lot of them had to leave early because it was a school night.
0: You are a layered and interesting individual, huh?
1: Oh, yeah. There's, we don't have enough time. We're going to have to choose. <laughs> Because, so, yeah.
0: Because, can I say another thing that again, all assumptions, one of the great things about hosting this show is it teaches me over and over again. There's all these dialogues about types of people and how they live. And it's not, life is not as simple as like this group of people does this. Because you mentioned you were in AP college classes. I think usually when people think of someone who marries at 17, they have a stereotype of someone in their mind who is not the same person who's in the AP college classes. And I think that's unfair um, to a lot of demographic people, but you did trump that stereotype.
1: Definitely, I think there are a lot of barriers um, that I've sort of crossed or um, places where I'm fluid, where other people see like rigid lines. And I think that's an important distinction. And I also think it's a big part of my story. That's, That's a common theme. It's just a, it's a, such a common theme throughout every um, like banner or milestone event in my life for sure.
0: You're cool. I can tell already you're cool. <laughs> you're a cool person. Thank if I was sure. around you in person, I'd be intimidated. I can tell.
1: <laughs> well I just uh, I've been trying to call into the show for years. I tried to call in at a point in my life when like things were really not going well and I couldn't see a way out. And then there was a point when I was trying to call in and things were like getting better and I could see a light. And now it's crazy that I'm talking to you right now at the pinnacle of everything because God, I think the story would just be so much better that way to know not where it ends because I'm continuing, but sort of the, the closing of, of the really bad things that happened and the really beautiful things that happened. I mean, it's complicated. It's layered.
0: I'm, I'm so happy to hear that. And I, I tell you, it's enjoyable to sometimes go, Hey, I'm calling you when the, when the hardest parts seem to be in the rearview mirror. That's nice too. Once in a while. That's nice too. Definitely. So where would yeah, you start thanks. with you? Where would you start with you? I don't even know where to start.
1: <laughs> so, I mean, um, I, I was like, I would love to talk about my childhood because it was such a crazy, beautiful ride. Um, I grew up with queer parents. Um, I'm the only biracial person in my family. Um, so I am black. Uh, my mom is from Appalachia, rural Appalachia. Um, and her partner was from Nevada. And so we sort of bounced back and forth between these two worlds, these two coasts. We, we couldn't decide, my parents couldn't decide where they wanted to be. So I was born in Appalachia. I moved to Nevada at six. I moved back to Appalachia at eight. I moved back to Nevada at nine. We stayed in Nevada till I was 12 on the cusp of 13. And then we came back and I was in Appalachia until I um, until I moved to Germany. And our house was sort of this place. And I, when I was younger, I, I saw it as like this magical place where everyone could find refuge. So my parents would take in, um, like, displaced LGBTQ youth or young people who had been kicked out of their families, and, like, these people would come and be, like, boarders and stay with us, Um, and I think that really informed so much of who I am, Um, and it really gave me a unique perspective, and I truly appreciate diversity because I think my childhood was so steeped in it, mm-hmm. <laughs> and my existence too is so steeped in, in in diversity and in bleeding into other lines and and being fluid. And so, yeah. And then I got married at seventeen, and I moved to Germany. Um, I loved Germany. I got there in November of twenty ten. In January of 2010, I found out I was pregnant. Total surprise. Mm-hmm. I was not. I was 18. I was just freaked out. We wanted to get married, but we were not planning to immediately start a family. That wasn't the plan. Um, and then he deployed in February. And, and so,
0: so most of the pregnancy, you're 18. You're in Germany, and you're figuring it all out yourself.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I didn't really have any friends when he left. I was sort of starting to make friends then. Um, but over the course of the deployment in my pregnancy, I sort of formed this really beautiful sisterhood with a group of women who, some of them, were in the same exact situation that I am. I think when people talk about like same the same exact breath,
0: situation, they had also moved yes. up every 18 months between Nevada and Appalachia. <laughs>
1: No, no, no. I met like, young 18-year-olds. Out no, of high I'm, school. Kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> found themselves, you know, found themselves uh, pregnant and alone and young in a foreign country. And so we, you know, and some were not pregnant. You know, some were a bit older. We were sort of like this varied girl group. Um, and so we all sort of banded together and, and got through the years. And uh, I had my son in August. And my now ex-husband, we didn't stay together. Um, He came back in January of the following year. So um, I had him in August and his dad came home in January.
0: So that's a weird story for your husband too, right? Because the starting point of like, hey, we just went for it, got married on a school night, moved to Germany, like that's the crazy adventure. And then he gets deployed to a war zone and comes home and meets a, a human child.
1: Yeah. And I, he didn't dig the kid when he got there. He wasn't uh, no. like, He wasn't down for it at first. And I, and I don't blame him for that. I mean, the things that happen to a person when they go to war, like, I'm, he's my ex-husband, and we don't necessarily always get along, but I will never fault him, like, for the reaction he had to, you know, coming home to a five-month-old after being in a war zone for a year. I mean that's just that's a hard transition for anyone. I can recognize that
0: do you think that getting married at seventeen now that you're older, you can look back was do you think the marriage had potential to be built to last, or did was were things fundamentally changed by what you're talking about by the war zone experience
1: so definitely fundamentally changed by the war zone experience, but then also fundamentally changed by everything that happened after well I don't know.
0: That's a tease.
1: Yeah. So we left Germany in August of 2012, and he was stationed in Kansas. While we were in Kansas, I found out I was pregnant again. I gave birth in November of 2013 to a beautiful little boy. And um, our marriage wasn't going so well at that point. Things were sort of unraveling. Um, he had gotten out of the military. We had moved to California to be near his family. Um, and we just realized that we had been married for four years nearly, but we had spent hardly any time together between trainings and deployments. And we just didn't know one another at all. And, uh, so I, I came home to Appalachia for a small visit, um, when the baby was four months old just to sort of pass some time apart and to clear our heads and to figure out where we were, you know. And also our relationship was always so good when we were apart. We missed each other so much. Her conversation was good when we had an opportunity to talk. So I think we both have this feeling of like, let's separate because that's what we know and let's figure this out in different spaces. And mm-hmm. my third day home, um, I woke up and I was making, um, I was staying at my mom's I woke up and I was making breakfast in another room and I went to check on the baby. And when I got to the bedroom, he wasn't breathing. Um and he 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 passed away. That's um, uh it was actually, it's his four month birthday. He he passed away.
0: Well that's uh just an unimaginable nightmare. And I can't even I, I can't um I can't tell you how sorry doesn't even begin, you know? I uh, Yeah.
1: Unfortunately, that- I wish it ended. Unfortunately, I wish it ended there. I mean, it was just, that was such a tragedy. And it was so hard to even like see the light of day. And of course, you know, he rushed to my side. He, you know, he was there within a day. And um, we put our son to rest. We laid his body to rest. And, I mean, at that point, we were resolved that, you know, we belonged together. No one else could understand the grief and the heartache that we were feeling. Um, And a couple days after our son's funeral, I found out I was pregnant. And uh, we were overjoyed. I mean, still heartbroken, so confused. Like, how could this... I had to have been pregnant before I ever left California, just, like, based on the timing. Um, Just... So, I mean so many emotions at once that I could never even describe. Um, and so we had another son. He was born in December of two thousand and fourteen, and things were so wonderful. I mean, he was just such a joy, such a bright spot, such a way to end this truly tragic year and twenty two days after he was born, I was exhausted i I had a C-section the first time, so every pregnancy proceeding. I have C-sections. That one was particularly difficult um, recovery for me. And um, that 22 days after he was born, I fell asleep breastfeeding him by accident. I don't even remember pulling him. He was like in a co-sized bed sleeper, like next to the bed. I don't remember pulling him into the bed with me. I I have no memory of it. But when I woke up, he, he passed away in my bed. And, uh, my ex-husband, when I woke up and discovered his, him, the baby, my ex-husband was in the next room, um, playing video games still. He had been up all night and, um, he tried to perform CPR. We called the, you know, we called 911, but it was just too late. Um, and so, uh, shortly after that you know obviously like child protective services were involved and a lot of things happened um you know a lot of things but at the end it ended with me being charged with manslaughter for his death wow yeah so at this point i'm like 23 24 i've had three kids i only have one living child and um, I'm facing a felony, and I've never even had a parking ticket or a moving violation. I'm looking down the barrel of like years in prison. My marriage is unraveling because God, you just even the best marriage I think would be so difficult to, to survive oh, uh, what, what we have been through.
0: Listen, you both went through. I don't even know how you're on the phone with me right now. I, I'm so impressed that you're still standing and moving forward and, and positive at the top of the call. I mean, I can't let alone the fact that your husband served in a war, like this is, there's no way. There's just no way, right? There's just no yeah, way.
1: Like, how do you yeah. And I also knew, you know, I'm not, I'm not dumb. I'm not. And I just, I'm a black woman and I'm in Appalachia. And, and there were a lot of things that went into charging me. And there were a lot of people in my town who had done similar thing i mean it's not the first time a child has died in, in a mother's bed um but i was the first one in my town to ever be charged for it
0: and it's part of this as part of this that the authorities are going okay this is a very young person there was a, a child who passed away a little while ago
1: yeah definitely i just think it's odd because you know i come from a very very small town like I know the sheriff by name, like I fully cooperated. I, I wasn't even taking my medication, my pain medication that was prescribed to me. So I consented right away to a drug screening, which was clean. There was, there weren't any other mitigating factors, Like the factor was just that I accidentally fell asleep breastfeeding. And, um, you know, my son that died before, there wasn't a huge investigation that was done because he wasn't, you know, I was up and I was making breakfast. We weren't in a bed together. Um, There was some evidence that maybe he had aspirated. I have not read their autopsies um, in depth. I've had them sort of um, like an overview of them read to me, but I can't bring myself to like read the autopsy reports for them. Um, So, yeah. uh, So there was a lot of time where I was sort of in limbo with the legal system. Um, At that point, you know, my ex and I were separated and getting a divorce. So my oldest son was three at the time. And I didn't want him to have to be away from me. And I didn't think that I could ever get a jury of my peers. I didn't think even one woman of color would be on my jury in my town. Um, So so I chose to take a plea deal. Wow. Uh, That uh, felony child neglect.
0: We're gonna pause there because we pause every show and I I do think more than most episodes it's warranted to just take some breaks. Our advertisers uh, are the reason we get to put the show out into your feed for free every Tuesday so we're going to hear from our advertisers right now. We'll be right back. Okay, break is over everybody. Now going to hear about the plea deal and its aftermath.
1: So I chose to take a plea deal. Wow. Yeah, uh, uh, felony child neglect. Wow. Yeah.
0: And what is the, what is the sentence for that?
1: So that was the deal. Like no jail time. I had to do two weeks of uh, house arrest. Um, at the time, I didn't have a house phone, so I actually completed my house arrest at my grandmother's house. So, my son and I packed up, and um, because you have to have a landline to do it. So, my son and I packed up enough things to stay for two weeks, and my grandma was gracious enough to let us stay in her home because she still had a house phone. And so, I did two weeks of house arrest and then three years of felony probation. And then I was released from probation in 2019. And I was like, okay, let's go. Like, let's let's start building like pretty much immediately upon being sentenced and finishing house arrest I was like okay how can I improve my situation like what can I do to make their lives matter and I just started going hard towards those goals like in an insane way um I was working second shift at a local burger joint and I started taking night classes at the community college and um once I had enough experience I moved to like a tax prep office and I did taxes for a year and did some bookkeeping and once I got experience doing that I then moved to office management at a local manufacturing facility while I continued to finish school um, I got my AA in just general studies and then I transferred I'm currently a senior at um well at a, at a university um and I'm uh, I'm majoring in leadership with a minor in um in management, but I knew I didn't want to stop there. Like I knew, okay, this isn't enough. I have to keep going. Um, so I started applying to jobs at nonprofits, specifically those that protect like civil liberties and work within the like communities of color for racial justice. Um, and I just kept applying. Like I just went after it doggedly. And uh, now, as you talk to me, I live in Kentucky, and I'm working at a very popular nonprofit centered around racial justice and social justice and civil liberties, protecting civil liberties. And um, I'm their office manager. And uh, during that time, I was falling in love with a man from another country that I met on the Internet. Um, And we are married, and I have this really beautiful life. and I think the only reason that I was able to pursue it just to go after it is that everything I've been doing is in their memory. You know, for my boys.
0: Where did you find that strength? How did you find that?
1: Honestly, I feel like I blacked out. I have no idea. I have no idea. And like, please, like, I therapy, I, you know, obviously, I have, like, some post-traumatic stress. So I, I have, like, mental health issues for sure, but Also, you know, I I had a son who needed me, um, who had already lost so much. You know, he lost the structure of his family. Um, After we divorced my ex and I, my ex is not a bad guy, but he sort of just floats in and out of my son's life as it suits him. Um, So like sometimes they'll talk three times a week and then sometimes they won't talk at all and I'll have to like send him a text and be like, hey, it's our son's birthday. It's 10 o'clock. It seems like you're not going to call. Could you please call? Please, please pick up the phone and call.
0: I have to, I have to ask a sensitive question. Um, I would imagine that being convicted of felony child neglect, I would make an assumption that, that that might preclude someone from having custody of a child. So I'm wondering how that worked out.
1: So, I mean, he just never contested me having it. But I live with this fear in the back of my mind all the time. Like, what if he wanted it? You know? And so I don't, um, like, hold him accountable to help financially. I don't hold him accountable. Everything is on his terms. And, like, he's been mostly really great. I mean, he doesn't think... Sorry. He doesn't think my son doesn't belong with him. Sorry. Um, okay. like he doesn't think my son doesn't belong with me. You know, he's never said that to me, but I know he has that power. I know he holds that. I also think it's a really interesting, just the situation that I was in is a really interesting conversation around women and motherhood. Right. Because when I was exhausted from taking care of our kids and falling asleep accidentally, he was in another room playing video games. I think all the time, like, why didn't you check on us one time? Yeah. Like, and I don't blame him. God, I don't blame him at all. But I do think it's interesting that no one around me was asking that question.
0: Right. That when you think about, you know, and again, this is a guy who I'm not going to, I'm, you know, it's, I'm not going to judge like someone who went through all that. But when you think about neglect and you think about both parents being home, you do have to sit and wonder, well, why? why isn't that full picture being considered that the other person wasn't in the same room and and doesn't neglect is neglect a shared situation but i think like you said i think right everything surrounding the law and motherhood is often very there's a lot of twisted aspects to it right and then i think there's i think there's people and and often I'm, i also want to be clear i'm not trying to validate anything about the men's rights movement but you do hear other people often saying, well when it comes to custody fathers often don't get a fair shake and i do think any it, it, things involving parenting and and uh and motherhood fatherhood and the law they don't mix together in ways that make sense all the time and it's Really, yeah, uh, it is. It, it's hard not to wonder, you know, like you said, being in an area of the world that hasn't always been accommodating to, uh, to any, you know, it has the sad reputation. Appalachia, I don't know if it's known as the most forgiving place to minorities, women. No,
1: I, mean, I love where I'm from. I love my home. But I mean, I do feel like there is this undercurrent of like, I was always very accepted there to a certain extent, but I have a white mom who whose whole family is from there, who is well-known in the community. And I think, you know, I, I definitely, some of that was always extended to me, but like when push came to shove and I was in this really terrible situation, you know, like there are things too, like little things that were going on throughout everything. Like, you know, we're living in pre-modern times now. Like there's always a box for like mixed race, but on all of my documents for um, like in, like in reference to the charges I'm like, they listed me as black. Right. And I think that's, I think that's very telling, right. Because I'm, I'm actually mixed race.
0: Right. I mean, there's gotta be a feel. and look, it's like, Oh, uh, it's so, this is so difficult. It's is so difficult to navigate for you. I'm uh, more way more than me, but I think you're right, you know, it goes back you, you think about um, a, a book that, you know, I have a lot of many people have a lot of love in their hearts even though it's been pointed out that there's a lot of problematic aspects about it in 2020 but even in to kill a mockingbird, right? There's there's those sections about well, if these kids appear white, but the town knows they have any black blood in them, they're black. That's how the town views them and that is an old school Jim Crow I'm sure people can research the whole history of it beyond that but that is that is a story that's that's known that that happens that when oh, the definitely. shit when the shit hits the fan a biracial pl- person is black mm-hmm. that 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 is a thing that <laughs> happens and we all know it
1: Yeah well and I too like you know I identify as as black and you know of mm-hmm. course I'm mixed and I know that I'm mixed and I'm biracial but Also, you know, I'm proud of who I am, you know, that's not a part of me that I was ever keeping a secret or, or, or putting myself in a box in that way. But I do think that for a long time, everyone in my community did, you know, like, and I think that's also the thing about any human experience is that everyone else is always putting you in a, in a box, you know, and I think naturally we just, we do that. But I think so many times people are so much bigger than the spaces where they
0: live in people's minds. Mm-hmm. Now, can I ask like a really hard question, but I'm sure it's something you've had to deal with again and again. Um, Cause I'm sitting here thinking about the fact that this podcast gets beamed out to the world and I'm going, man, there's going to be a, a lot of listeners who, who hear what you've just told us and go, well, she pled guilty and two babies died and, is this the false story? Is is this, this and that? And it makes me realize I'm sitting here thinking of it from the perspective of a host going, man, I, I, I'm thinking about the reaction to this, but, but you must get that reaction all the time. And I would imagine there's employers who do background checks and you have to explain. And there's people think- who've heard your story from afar who, who, have questions about your guilt and innocence, you must have to deal with it all the time.
1: It wasn't a choice that I consciously made. I had educated myself. um, And I've heard every version of how someone could react to my story. I know there are people out there who um, will uh, think that I deserve everything that's happened to me um, based on the events. I know there are people who will be very empathetic. But ultimately, everyone's reaction, I mean, that's not for, those aren't for me. Um, Like, I know in my heart that I love my kids and that I'm a good mom. And I know that, like, even though, like, I'm a felon now, like, those things weren't nearly as traumatic or scary as losing them to begin with. And um, the worst thing to ever happen to a mother, in my opinion, is to live each day without her children. And I... I carry that with me, and I, and I have to live my life every day, missing my my boys, and missing who they would have been, and and wondering about moments. Um, and the only thing that I can do is is honor their lives by making my life truly great and dedicating my life to others, and and ensuring that, you know, other people know their rights and and are treated fairly, and and making the world a better place that that's what i can do for their memory that's what i can do to, to pay restitution for for everything that's happened i can just honor them with my life
0: Ooh, i mean there's been there's been many stories on this show where i sit there and i go i can't imagine i can't imagine being in your shoes and and this one uh probably more than any other. Oh my god. I mean I I cannot imagine how how there's not a word for how it must feel to stand in a court and plead guilty to a situation involving the death of your own child. That has that has to be one of the hardest days out of all of these.
1: I don't remember. Yeah. I have no memory. I have I'm, no memory of it. It's I'm the no- only way.
0: I'm not surprised that that got blocked out. I mean, to stand there and say I, guilty is, I can't.
1: Well, I, did, I did an alford plea, which is a common thing that you can do in a court, which is saying that I believe with the evidence that you're choosing to present that you could find me guilty. And so I'm choosing to relinquish my innocence, but I am maintaining my innocence.
0: Did you feel like there was any sympathy from the district attorney, the judge, etc.? Did you, did you feel like people were sitting there going?
1: Mm, that was oh. super complicated, right? Because I knew them all really well. Oh, wow. The district attorney the district attorney, you know, um, went to my church growing up. I used to get up and sing and do the music. Um Ah uh, so it was like being a part of this situation with a bunch of people who always had really respected you and now all of a sudden, you know it's really different. It's really different. And in a lot of ways I think it felt like, I don't know, Gosh, it was just a really rough time. And I, I think too, you know, I hesitate a lot about sharing my story here on this platform, but it's the only place, you know, where I feel like it's a safe place to do so, you know, like my identity is kept, mm-hmm. you know, but my story is so people, I feel like it's, I wanted to tell my boy's story. And at the end of the day, everyone else's thoughts. I mean, I can't. No. I'm a a prison of my own thoughts. Yeah. (laughs) You know, like.
0: And I I will tell you so sincerely that I bring that up, not to scare you, not to put you in your head, but just because I had the thought and then I go, oh, and that's your daily reality. That's.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, listen, you go to a job interview and you know, you know, you have to tell the stranger who you want to pay you to do a job each day. The most. Personal, traumatic, intimate thing that's ever happened to you, right? And then you also have to convince them. But I'm a put together person, and I can do my job each day. And even though I can't get through this story without crying, like if if you'll just give me a chance, I'll I'll be the best employee that I can be, you know. Yeah. And I just honestly, you know, I would just end each time I had to tell that story. I would just every each time I have to to an employer, you know, I do my best just to look to summon every ounce of courage that I have to look the interviewer in the eye and just say if you give me a chance I will come in this job every day and I will do this job in honor of my kids the best that I can because every step I take is leading me to the next step and and I will never get to see them graduate high school I will never get to see them have their dream job the only option is for me to live without regrets for them that's the closest that I can get
0: That wakes me up, that idea. The only thing I can do is live for them. I mean, wow. And and makes me think a lot about the people in my life, people who I've lost, and and even more so the people who I haven't lost and how I have to be on my game and live for them too. It's a a beautiful message. We'll be right back. That's the final break, everybody. I'm going to finish off the phone call.
1: the only option is for me to live without regrets for them. That's the closest that I can get. Wow.
0: And, and I'll say something too, I'll say something too, as I'm processing what you're telling me, which is that um, a lot of parents listen to this show and because I brought up the fact that there's, like you said, your whole life, your whole life is people reacting to this story and you seeing every reaction. There's going to be parents, right? There's parents who naturally are gonna go, oh my God, that's scary in the and there, And like I said, there's gonna be people going, wait, what really happened? But I also think every parent out there remembers that fear of having a newborn And when doctors, when every doctor and every class you take and every book and website you read goes, hey, here's a million things you need to keep your eye on because life is fragile and and there's so many ways that this could happen to a little. I mean, they tell you, don't let your baby sleep on its stomach. Your baby could have, it increases the chance of sudden instant test syndrome. I'm sitting here wondering, I, I, I do not want to make this about me, but I'm, I'm, I remember one time I was carrying Cal in our baby Bjorn and he was on my chest and I was going down a staircase and I fell, I fell down the steps. Oh, and gosh. I managed to kind of bounce off my knee and land on my back and one of my neighbors saw it, and my downstairs neighbor was going, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. And I'm sitting here and I'm thinking about your story and I'm going, every parent knows. Every parent knows things yeah, go I mean, wrong and they warn you about them millions of times. But the reason they have to warn you about them is because there are tragedies that happen. And
1: uh Definitely. I mean, and I, you know, I, I just had a baby in February. I never thought I would be able to handle yeah. that. Stress.
0: How did that, how did that go? That must have been... Headspin. Uh, did, did you plan the
1: pregnancy? Yeah, yeah. You know, I I had gone. I've I've gotten remarried, and and I feel like too. I haven't said enough. You know, just after you know I, I finalized my plea agreement, and you know I was sort of settling into life on probation and life working at my burger joint. I fell in love. I fell in love in a way that I can't even. I can't even talk about it. I'm so in love with my husband, my current husband. And um, we met online. I don't think we even meant for anything like this to happen, for us to build a life together. But I think he said it best. You know, we were up talking late one night. And we've been talking for hours. And he was like, I just always want to be in the middle of a conversation with you. And, you know, this is a guy who lived in Canada. You know, I've been truthful about my story. So he knows at this point, I'm not yet divorced. I'm separated. I'm, you know, I've just finalized, you know, I've just been charged with manslaughter in connection to my son's death. I've lost another child. I was married really young. Um, you know, all these things sort of that happened in my life are coming to a head just as I'm meeting him. And um, And so, you know, I was sort of working from the bottom up and And as I was building my life, he built a life with me. And there came a point in our relationship where we both really wanted a baby. And I was so scared to tell people I wanted a baby. Like maybe I don't deserve like that sort of happiness, you know, or maybe people will think that I'm like jinx somehow or that I don't value life or that I didn't love my kids or that I didn't that I wasn't worthy of that kind of gift. Um, but the really wonderful, I won't say wonderful, a byproduct of going through something like that is that the people in your life who are bullshit anyway, they just fade away. And only the realists stick with you. You know through who has the type your back. Of things- you know yeah, who has and you know your what? Back. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because the people who are bullshit, they just disappear literally. Um, and so luckily, you know, everyone in my life was really excited because the people in my life were genuine connections who know me as a person who know my heart. Um, but you know, having a baby was really hard and and he agreed to do a lot, you know, he's a stay at home dad. Um, my PTSD is really bad, so I don't care for the baby at night. Yeah. Um, you know I like the morning shift I like the morning shift you know just before work I'll get up early and I, I get to see like his first morning smile but from the time that it gets dark until daybreaks in the morning i I am not alone with the baby
0: yeah that's uh what a sad thought but one that I understand yeah. I, I can't after
1: God, and I, don't, I mean, I know everything sounds so sad, but no. I think there was a point in the story where I thought I would never be fully alive, right? Where I thought I would just go through the motions and I would make things work for my son who was still with me because he deserved me. But then I was sort of like, wake up. Wake up. He's still here. He needs you. He needs you to be the best that you can be. So I just started living for my boys.
0: Yeah, and and your your son uh, another very painful thing to ask, but I feel like I wouldn't I wouldn't be a, an empathetic human being if I didn't ask. He went through this too. Yeah, he's How, yeah, three
1: years old.
0: Yeah, how's he doing?
1: So um, we immediately got him into grief counseling, and That's and he good. went weekly for a long time, and and we talk about them a lot too. I went to grief counseling with him. We went to grief counseling together. We went to grief counseling separately. Um, And so we have a lot of really open and frank conversations and I'm just so proud of the way his emotional intelligence and the way that he's able to express himself. And, you know, he's nine now and I think there have been moments in his life where he's become more aware of the trauma that he's been through and I think the birth of his youngest brother in February was definitely one of those times, you know everyone kept saying you're going to be a great big brother when I was pregnant. And then he just started to look at people in the face and say, I am already a big brother.
0: Wow. And then do you just excuse yourself to the other room and cry forever?
1: Yeah. Sometimes. Yeah. Or, or, you know, like, um, uh, like when he was holding the baby, um, you know, he, when the baby was born, when his brother was born, we were in the hospital room and he looked at me and he said, this just feels right, doesn't it? And I was like, yeah, it does, buddy, doesn't it? And he said, this is what I've been missing all this time. This feels so right. And so, of course, you know, it just makes me emotional, but also I'm so proud of his ability to express himself and, and to grieve without the worry of how it makes those around him feel. You know, he's, he honors his feelings. Um, and that's difficult. I mean, I can't, it's difficult for me to do I'm nearly 30. I don't know how he manages it at eight years old, but.
0: Oh my God. When you just said that, when you just said the words, I'm nearly 30 and it just underlined how young you are and how much you've been through, I'm nearly 30 and you've, and you've dealt with all this, that is, and it sounds like hearing that your son has been able to say those things and how much wisdom that is for a little guy how much strength it is for a little guy it makes sense to me that you keep, you keep coming around to this thought of, I got to be the best I can be for him because, and when you said that thing before you look at him and go, I got to wake up and get to work for him. Makes sense. Cause it sounds like he's something really special.
1: Oh God. He's wonderful. He loves dinosaurs. And so everything in our life relates back to dinosaurs. And uh, <laughs> he loves, he loves science and STEM and he's a reader he reads these huge mythical novels uh this year his teacher was you know they're doing virtual learning and his teacher was like what books are you reading and he was like oh you know i'm reading this series and she was like oh my 10th grader loves that series
0: i you're just sitting behind him like yeah
1: yeah he's a reader heck yeah we're yeah. all readers that's what brought you know that's yeah. what brought my husband and i together my husband's a writer and i love reading and We love literature. Our our house is filled with books. So it's been so great, you know, like to come out of my office during the day and to see him on the couch reading during his downtime. It just makes my heart feel so full.
0: Well, it's, it's, when you bring up literature, I had this thought before where I'm going, if you, if you, if you went to a publisher, if you had a pitch meeting, and you went to them and you said, I want to write a novel. And it's about a girl from Appalachia. She gets married to a military guy when she's 17. And she, and she uh, while she's still young, she starts popping out babies. But then tragedy strikes and two of them pass. And in her small town where she knows the DA, and they went to church together. He prosecutes her for manslaughter. If you pitched that as a novel... I feel like a publisher would go, I'm sorry, we're gonna pass on that because that's too hacky a depiction of Appalachia. You know, like that's too cliche as far as like a hard luck, hard scrabble Appalachian story. And then you're sitting here going, No, I I already lived it. And guess what? The real story is act two. The real story is how do you keep going? The real story is how do you pick yourself back up and go, this actually shakes me out of of this working at a burger joint. This actually makes me realize I need to I need to double down, triple down, quadruple down on making more out of myself than anyone would ever predict. That's the real story.
1: Yeah. That's the real Definitely. story. Definitely. I mean that and and just honoring their lives through my life. And I know God, it's like a theme that plays in my head. I can't, I can't say it enough. You know, like there've been times where I've been afraid to put myself out there and I've been like, okay, they need you. Like their memory needs you. And, and I'll say E for my son, you know, E, E needs you. E needs to see you do this. E needs to see you overcome this. Like he has. Mm -hmm. And also you need to be able to give him any, anything that any path he chooses. If he wants to go to trade school, if he wants to go to college if he you know whatever he wants to do you need to be able to help him facilitate that you need to be successful enough to facilitate his success you don't have a choice he he gets he gets the beautiful ending and you provide it
0: Oh, I'm crying.
1: I'm sorry. I didn't mean oh, to cry. Oh, I you to that.
0: apologize? Of course I'm going to cry. Everybody... If, if, have you ever met anybody? Everybody's got to cry. If anybody's hearing you say things like that and they're not crying, then you, you got to be wary. You got to watch out for those people because they're ice cold. <laughs> I
1: just... He you needs to and see think...
0: you do it. He needs to see... You're right. You're right. You got... You have... More than anyone I've ever talked to, I feel like you have two choices, and it's 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 wild because both of them are valid. Your options in life are crumble in a way where no one would ever judge you for it, or step up and set a good example for the next generation because they wound up in this or this whirlwind of a life too. Those are, you have two options, and
1: but also like you know, this story could have gone a lot differently if I hadn't been so forthcoming or if I'd understood how the criminal justice system works or if I had, had someone in my corner saying, that's probably not a good idea or fight back there, push back there. You can push back. Like they're an authority figure, but this is also your story and, and you don't let them write the narrative for you.
0: Right. I would have to even imagine somebody going, you deserve more time to process all of this before you have to make these decisions or wind up embroiled in a legal battle too. I, I would imagine there's a lot of, I would imagine that a, a, a real fancy high-end lawyer would go, at the very least, we're boxing out room for you to, to, for you to be able to have a cogent thought in your
1: head. like Definitely. Well, and too, like, I, there was no culpability for me and my son who died first in his death. But I saw, like, and what would have been, you know, as what was shaping is like their presentation of it being like one big, swooping mm-hmm. thing that happened. When in reality, I wasn't held responsible for that. It wasn't determined if that was me or that I did anything to, to cause his death. No one, that's not, that wasn't the narrative there. But so then they're, once-
0: they're implying that in the courtroom and they're going, hey, I bet if we went back and looked at this other situation, find some funny business. They're implying yeah.
1: that. Yeah, but uh, like they didn't do the investigating. You know what I mean? Like they didn't think that. No one... Do you see what I'm saying? So a lot of things were... Which, I mean, I don't want to get into like the logistics of like my, my court case. I don't...
0: Of course. At the end of
1: the day. I mean, at the end of the day, too. And I think it is important to be said, like, regardless of whether they would have brought the charges or not. Like, regardless of whether they had charged me, regardless of what anyone in the world will say or does say or... You know, I I, carried, I would have carried it with me my whole life anyway.
0: For anybody listening, you may have just heard that a few minutes of the show got cut out. And it's because the caller named her employer. And then in the course of talking about it, realized that it, it, it might cause more harm than good. So we're cutting it out. And guess what? Everybody live with it. Live with it. <laughs> And then I said some things very specific to the nature of the employer that would identify who it was. So it's not like we just bleep the name. We cut out a chunk and live with it, okay? If I see anybody leaving a comment that's like, I wanna know what was up with that two minutes. Well, guess what, you don't get to. And this caller has shared more than enough and said more than enough things that are risky and brave to share and reflect a lot of pain that, that this is churning back up. So that two minutes goes away, sorry i'm not sorry
1: you're the real mvp chris i, I, I so appreciate you <laughs> well
0: no i can't believe you're not 30 yet i can't believe it a lot of no, life to I'm, live a lot of life to oh, live I
1: have so much more i have so many more things to do and uh and i'm not finished yet this is just the beginning that's the crazy thing right it's like I feel like with this move and with this new career opportunity, like it's all starting, but I do feel this sort of sense of relief that I can't even describe because I made it, right. I made it to phase one. I did it. I have a good paying job. Um, you have great health insurance. I'm doing good work. That is honorable. Like, I'm doing it. Like I, I'm finally here. Like I'm, I'm honoring my boys in a way that feels Right, That's mm-hmm. so beautiful. I'm sleeping for so well for the first time in so long.
0: You got you got this husband that you say you're so in love with, who it's it's also wild too because you're describing to me how you met online and you're being very honest about your story and you hadn't even been divorced at the time and you're dealing with a felony. Accusation and conviction. You're sitting there going, wow, for for a lot of guys, especially in an online context, there's like seven deal breakers along the way there." And then, and then this guy goes, "No, I I feel this love and I feel this connection and I'm gonna I'm gonna explore it no matter what." And doesn't that strike me as particularly Canadian? An open mindedness, an open mindedness, and, and a gentleness. That strikes me oh, as yeah. particularly Canadian, yeah.
1: Right, and and his family too. You know, I his parents came down to meet me in the middle of all of this. You know, because court cases take a long time. So, the, you know, the time between when I was charged and when I cho- chose to take a plea that was over a year. Wow. And so his parents came down from Canada to meet me, and I just was think there. You know, I'm a mother, and there are just all these reasons why I'm not right. And I'll just never forget, too, the first time we ever met, we went to a Mexican restaurant in my, you know, smallish Appalachian town. We went to the next town over, so it was a bit bigger, it's a big city. And uh, my son had to go to the bathroom. And his mom is so loving and friendly. And I think right away she knew, she recognized that, you know, my son loves this woman and, and her son. And, and, you know, they're going to be our family. So right away she just enveloped us, you know. And so, you know, my son was like, I need to go to the bathroom. He's like three, four. And I'm like, okay. And she's like, oh, I'll come too. I'll wash my hands. And so she comes with us. And I, we all walk into the bathroom. And starts to take down his pants. And I look around and realize it is a one-person bathroom. The door locked. She's so friendly. She doesn't know what to do. So she stays awkwardly. Um, at that age, was like, potty train. Oh, gosh, my son. Sorry, sorry.
0: It's okay. It's I'm train. taking notes. We're going to bleep
1: okay um he's potty trained but he um has like these really weird things about like going in public so he like starts to get nervous because she's in there and he's like hold my hand hold my hand so I hold so I go to hold his hand and when he said something she like turned to look at him and he starts screaming, don't look at me, I'm pooping. Don't look at me, I'm pooping. So her and I have known each other like 20 minutes. We're in the middle of this um, Mexican restaurant. And I'm sure everyone can hear him screaming, don't look at me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And she's stuck in the bathroom with us um, while he's going to the bathroom. And this one person. Oh, God, it was just such a nightmare. Um, but I'll never forget dinner ended and we were leaving. And she just gave me the biggest hug and said, I'm so glad to finally meet you. And I just thought, man, how can that be true? Like, but it was. I mean, they love us. They've always, just from the beginning, treated us like like we were their family. Like I'm their daughter. Like their grandson. I'll never forget when we got married, his parents gave a card. And it was like a picture of the world. And it had a bunch of different kids holding hands. And um, his mom wrote on the inside, out of all the children in the world, we're so lucky that you're our grandson."
0: That is, uh that's remarkable.
1: It's good stuff. It's feel-good stuff.
0: That's people buying into love. That's people opting into being loving.
1: Yeah. And they fed on me a bunch of times, you know. Like, they financed our move here when I got the, when I got the job. Wow. Wow. I was like, my husband's dad, God, I'm so bad at this. My husband's dad was like, we believe in you. So we'll
0: we'll take care of the moving God. This is where you're supposed to be. Go. Now we've got 45 seconds left. And I'm, I asked you before offhandedly as the story is unfolding, but I kind of want to ask you now that I've heard so much of it, I'm not strong, you know, I'm not strong and I haven't been challenged by all that much in life and I'm not strong. So I'm wondering if you had to sum it up in just a sentence or two, how do you be strong?
1: I think it just comes back to love. I loved my boys. And I think the best way to sh- to honor love is to show love. And they're not here for me to love on and to raise and to watch be who they'll be. And so, my only choice is to love fully and and to embrace that love I feel that doesn't have anywhere to go because, and to channel it into my future and into my son's future and into now, you know, my other son's future. I just choose love every day.
0: Well, we got to end on that note because choose love every day. You're not going to beat that. I, uh, this story is unbelievable, and I I thank you for trusting me enough to hear it out.
1: Thank you for answering. I can't believe i I can't believe I got through. It's, it's been an honor, and this is the only place I felt comfortable sharing my story. But I wanted people to hear it, so thank you for giving me the space to do that.
0: Caller. Thank you for, for opening up. I mean, that, that is a story that is not easy to talk about. People don't talk about the loss of children. I mean, you were convicted of a crime. This is, this, there's a lot here to not talk about, and you chose to talk about it, and that is brave and I thank you for trusting me and trusting the community behind the show to hear this story. Thank you to Ruby Flores. Thank you, Jared O'Connell. Thank you, Jordan Allen. Thank you to Shell Shag. If you uh, like the show, subscribe, follow, favorite, all those things. Remember, if you want our back catalog, ad-free, StitcherPremium.com/stories. Wow, how weird does it feel plugging things right now? I'll just see you next time.